Hello, and welcome to Lit by Moonlight, where it's not a phase to want it so bad, but be so pathetic. It has been one month since they redacted, Max, aired the series finale of what critics are calling the last great American prestige drama, Succession. And it has taken us approximately one month to process that, so we are finally talking about it today. And my god, this is not a spoiler-free podcast, so if you have not finished all of Succession and you care about spoilers, get out of here! Go! Get! <laughs> I, I am, I can, we've already, so we've already done this intro twice, and <laughs> I think it's really funny that both times you were thrown off by the redacted that I put in front of Max. In Maybe our I did it notes. on purpose. <laughs> I, both I just, times. Have you ever considered I, that? <laughs> that I did it on purpose? I never, I never once considered that because when I read it, I'm actually very thrown off by my redacted line because I'm expecting there to be an HBO there, yeah. but we cannot have nice things in this mm-hmm. world of streaming. No, we so. cannot. <laughs> Everything's changing and not for the best. No. Um, my name is Emberlyn and I am your number one boy. You're my number one boy. Thanks, Caitlin. You're welcome. Oh, shit. I gave away. <laughs> How <laughs> dare you? Spoiler alert. I said, well, this is not a spoiler-free podcast. Yeah, we did so, say that. Spoilers. My name is Caitlin, and I was interested in politics at a very young age. <laughs> <laughs> you sure were. Um, <laughs> Caitlin, in a normal episode, we might give you a quick summary of the show, the season, the book, or the movie, whatever we're reviewing but today we are operating on the assumption that because all of you are insane, you know exactly what happened in succession mm-hmm. frame by frame. And I think I'm right for saying that because I really cannot imagine that by this point you have forgotten what's happened. I think the nature of the show is such that it is memorialized in all of our minds forever and ever and ever. Before we get into the series finale and talk about that, I want to hear your thoughts uh, generally about the show how did you first get into succession and what hooked you caitlin i'm a very late comer to this show um it has always been on my watch list for like the longest time um but i was never like in the mood to watch it like you know when you just gotta like you know you want to watch a show but you just you're not gonna give it 100 percent at the time so you're just gonna like put it off for a bit and for the longest time i was in my silly shows era so I didn't want to like get into this show where I had to really, really pay attention to all the details. And like I was under the assumption that this was like a political drama. And I know it had a lot of things to do with politics and business, etc. So I was like, mm, I'm just I can't deal with that. I didn't sit down to actually start watching it until earlier this spring. Um, where I was able to binge it all up until the finale, which was the only episode I ever watched live, and I'm so glad I did. But, like, specifically for a moment for that, like, really hooked me in this show, and I've thought a lot about this because I really think the fun thing about Succession is that you don't really realize that you've sold your soul to this show until it's already happened, and before you know it, you go from, yeah, I'll see what this is all about, to Kendall Roy is my baby girl in, like, (laughs) an hour. So, um, if I really think about it, the episode where I realized there was no turning back for me was season one, episode six, which side are you on, where they do the no confidence vote to attempt to get Logan out of the company. 
And I was so stressy stressed the entire time the vote was going on and watching Logan absolutely take over the room that he shouldn't have even been in anyway. Him just being the absolute worst. Kendall is literally running across the city to try and make it to said vote and he's on the phone the entire time and he's running and out of breath and that's already stressful. And Roman, like, last minute changes his answer because his dad influences him and, like, Kendall ends up losing anyway and I was rooting so hard from at this point that like from this point on I was dissecting every single detail by the time the season one finale aired I was just on the edge of my seat so invested and I think this is the episode that did it because I was like oh I didn't realize how much I was rooting for Kendall at this point yeah. <laughs> in time so I think that is what hooked me and I'm very glad that I'll be it late that I got into this show. Yeah, I I think the show early on has a really, I think it, it does a really good job of making you root for Kendall because, mm-hmm. I mean, he wants it. He wants it so bad. He wants like, so bad. You know, <laughs> he really does. Like, and I also I want to say I think it's funny that it was pitched to you originally as a political show because, mm-hmm. I, and I I think this kind of speaks to how separated from politics we often all think like that the way that money moves the way that corporations operate the way media operates is Mm -hmm. that I never thought of it as a political show from what I knew about it I was just like oh this looks like a stock photo like slideshow with Phoebe Bridgers playing in the background this is not (laughs) a real thing I bet I bet frat boys love this show and I think it's true that some do but in like a like a, a way that's I think, like, they're almost misreading the show. They, like, mm-hmm. idolize Kendall without recognizing what his true narrative purpose is. But that's not what today is about. Let's talk about how I got into the show. Yeah, how did you um, get into the show? I, I want to say it was, like, it was probably not long after the pandemic started, but I want to say it was during the height of the pandemic um, mm-hmm. that I really got into it. And I ended up watching season one and season two um, because I knew the memes um, <laughs> yeah. everyone knows the memes if you uh-huh. don't think you know the memes you do you know, know the, the memes. memes i knew the memes <laughs> occasionally what will happen is like there'll be like one shot of something and you'll be like oh my god from twitter you know it's just yeah. the show is completely recognizable from twitter kendall is very memeable jeremy strong is very memeable mm-hmm. um so you just kind of come in knowing like a lot of his scenes just from from other places it's so funny i ended up watching season three as it aired not long after i moved to dc and then i also Mm. watched season four as it aired when i think about what really got me hooked on the show this is a lot harder for me to nail down but i often think about one of the first scenes in episode one season one where kendall gets in the back seat of his car with his driver taking him to waystar and he's getting ready to be crowned king, essentially. Like, today is the day yep. that Logan is going to hand over the throne. And I want to take a pause to talk about, like, maybe not the irony of this, but just how silly it is. Because we really have no sense how much time has passed between this moment and the end of season four. But what we do yeah. know is that Kendall is essentially in the same place he was when the show started except he's worse off because he's pretty much lost everything it's just crazy because like he's done so much between episode one and then the very last episode but there was no progression for him he was always doing the same thing and always always in the same spot yeah crazy This, (laughs) this is literally one of my we have peaks and valleys where we talk a lot about like 
what we liked about the show. This is one of my peaks that I'll talk about a little later, but I think there's something so funny about that. Um, But at the time that I was watching it, all I was seeing was this man in the car on the way to Waystar, and he's listening to an open letter to NYC by the Beastie Boys, with Mm -hmm. NYC kind of being his kingdom. So at the time that I'm watching season one, I think this, I'm going to set this scene a little bit, because this, I think, is really important to, like, why I continued watching. Um, I didn't just like write this off as being like a weird stock photo drama. (laughs) So a global pandemic has happened and New York City has been shut down and the morgues are overflowing and the hospitals are overflowing. It's, I think, a very raw and frightening time for a lot of us. And at the same time that this is happening, I think there is this level of consciousness about the uber wealthy emerging that is new for a lot of people because i don't think many of us have ever felt as truly separated from this population before this population that can run away from new york city to upstate or hop on a helicopter like the roys and run from a public health crisis and behave irresponsibly because they will always have access to healthcare, and they won't be the ones that suffer from their choices. And so to see a piece of media like this at a time when I think like the facade of wealth as this, I think, glorified thing that is attainable is fading is really fascinating. And I'd like to believe that a lot of people streamed Succession at the same time that that Gal Gadot Imagine video came out. (laughs) And that is very possibly the combination of things that set a lot of people off. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that was that was a choice she made and others involved. <laughs> it's it's really interesting because I think at the time that this is all taking place, we're, we were seeing a lot of headlines about celebrities having like parties and like continuing to kind of behave yeah. like everything is normal because they can. Not that they should, but that they can. So to encounter a show where wealthy people are the the leads, it's like, okay, what is this going to actually be about? And is it just going to be like us dick sucking somebody who is actually probably wealthy beyond any qualification for needing to be wealthy? Not probably, but like is. So then like another, that speaking of which, another mm-hmm. added layer of this is there's like massive amounts of misinformation being spread widely about the virus, about the means of protection against the virus. And the media is instigating and influencing much of this misinformation. And now we have an immediate organization like Waystar and then a news organization like ATN. And I think this would be a good time to share that one of the show creators uh, major inspirations for succession is the Murdoch media empire amidst other wealthy families. Um, and these people are really one of the founding families of mis- misinformation, the Murdochs that is. So for those of you at home who don't know, the Murdochs own Fox News and the New York Post, the Wall Street Journal, an array of tabloids as well. And the patriarch of the family, who would be the counterpart of Logan Roy, Rupert Murdoch, has a net worth of 17 billion and that's an estimation so we really don't know how much money this guy has and i would really be afraid to find out and i already am but this is a family that holds a great deal of power and responsibility for misinformation in this country globally and their wealth and influence is kind of inconceivable these families themselves i guess images these these concepts of these people the concepts of these people like The images we have in our minds of who they are, what they represent, is inconceivable because their influence over the media allows them to curate our news feeds and their 
images to their own liking. Mm -hmm. So this show, I think, is incredibly timely because of everything I've just mentioned and because it is trying to make sense of the inconceivable or at least allow the viewer to wrap its head around the enormity of families like the Murdochs. And yes, it is entertaining. And the point is to entertain and to for us to all to gather around yet another media organization, <laughs> uh, you know, TV network every night and watch the show. Yeah, like there is some irony in that. But I think it is also a challenge. It is also an opportunity to assert the patheticness of the wealthy and, and to humanize them. This is something Overthinking talks about in their video essay, why everyone uh, says succession is Shakespearean. I will link it in the description. Um, but coming back to center, we have two perspectives on Kendall in this one scene. The curated perspective, the music blaring through his headphones, him rapping along, and the humanized almost embarrassing perspective where the music is cut and we just see him rapping to himself and he's kind of like <laughs> yeah. he sounds like really like douchey and whiny and cringy and like yeah. it's kind of unbearable mm-hmm. and to me this is the first sign that this series is not a glorification of wealth it's not like an op-ed in support of old money it is a humanization of the uber wealthy and that i hope is deeply unwanted and undesired by americans non-fictional wealthy families um, it is widely reported that Rupert Murdoch had some sort of clause, um, I think in his divorce papers, but I could be wrong about that, that his most recent ex-wife not give any ideas to succession for their show. Oh, um, I read that, I think. <laughs> I think it's crazy. more likely that this characterization of the uber wealthy takes some power away from them than, than it does, like, humanize them in a way that makes us think, oh, I feel bad for them, like, as a larger entity. But we can talk more about that in a little bit. Yeah. So we're talking about how, like, the, the, the role this show plays in kind of, like, making the wealthy pathetic. Um, it does a really good job of this. It does a good job of a lot of things, um, including writing headbanger line after headbanger line. I want to know if you have any all-time favorite succession quotes. Uh, this was so hard because there's so many, and I have so many different favorite quotes for so many reasons. Like A lot of them are just really funny lines because, honestly, this show is a comedy. <laughs> Yeah. For the most part, like it's great. I like have literally been in tears of la- like of laughter over this show, um, and there's also lines that are just like really cool in the moment, and then there are lines that like <laughs> like you're watching the show and you go, oh, okay, <laughs> like it's yeah. just like heartbreaking or just deeply deeply sad for so many th- reasons, and. The first one I want to talk about is uh, one of those sad ones that just made me go, oh, ow. (laughs) And that is from, uh, I believe it is the season two finale when Tom and Shiv are sitting on the beach and they are, I don't think for the first time, but definitely not the last time talking about their relationship and how to move forward. Tom says to Shiv, I love you. I do. I just, uh, I wonder if. I wonder if the sad I'd be without you would be less than the sad I get from being with you. Oof, dude. (laughs) (laughs) That's rough. Their relationship is so much. It's not good. It's toxic as fuck. But my God, it is captivating to me. And the fact that this is probably a true statement that Tom absolutely, he would be sad without Shiv, but he would be way less sad without Shiv than he is with Shiv currently, 
it's a true statement it's most likely a true statement and the fact that he like said this to her face now he has said worse things to her face and she has said worse things to him after this but like i feel like what doesn't happen often and then when it does on the show it just like punches you in the gut is when people actually share their truth with mm-hmm. each other because there, there's so many scenes where it's like oh you can tell on their face what they want to say then they yeah. don't but when they do say the truth it it happens so rarely like where characters aren't lying to each other or aren't masking like their actual emotions to each other that when this happens it hurts so much there's just something about the way that mr darcy himself matthew mcfadden just looks so sad like a little kicked puppy sometimes uh the baby girlification of tom Wombskins really gets me i don't like him but i love him you know <laughs> yeah yeah i know there's so, he's like my guilty pleasure there's just something about his little face you know like <laughs> yeah. he's so like gag worthy like i can't stand him but also yeah. like matthew mcfadden himself mm. it's like a whole different ball game you mm. know Though I find it, I think, increasingly difficult given everything that happened this season to separate the actor from the man because, oh my god, Oof, you know. Well, <laughs> um, what about you? What was your? What was the first quote that stood out to you? Well, first, I want to go back to what you said about the truth because I think mm-hmm. this is a good time for me to talk a little bit about the unique power of language in this show mm, yeah. and uh-huh. what goes into formulating that power i think you have to be a very talented person to write for this show and to like fully understand i think not just what needs to happen to move things forward but like what needs to be said and what makes sense writing could become a dying art literally because tv executives are trying to replace writers with ai and there's an entire remarkable movement by the wga to ensure that that doesn't happen Mm -hmm. And also that writers get paid properly for their craft. And I've linked some resources in the chat for things you can do to support them, including a link to a fund that can be used to support writers that are affected by the strike. And to that point, uh, television writers are really essential to a show's communicability to its audience. And I think this show is a great example of that because only humanity can fabricate the vernacular to tell Mm. this story or any remarkable story. I think only humanity can fabricate these lies. Something a lot of pop culture essayists talk about is the language in this show is essentially jargon. It's not real. It's not Mm -hmm, true. mm -hmm. It's shop talk. It's a resume. It's give me your performance indicators or it's I need the optics or it's your love portfolio, quote unquote. Uh And part of this is because for the characters to be true to each other would be like turning a turtle over on its back and Mm -hmm. showing... Uh, that character's soft belly and I think the layers of nuance a writer requires to tell each character's lies and occasionally turn that character over onto its soft belly and tell (laughs) his or her truth is kind of unfathomable It's, it's like I really don't think any of us could really do that and there are very few people who can so one of that line that you just talked about is I think also one of my favorites in the show, just because of that. The ones I wrote down, I have some honorable mentions, and I'll, I will go through those as you're going through yours, but mm-hmm. my first one is uh, in, I think it's episode one. Yeah, it's in episode one of season four, when Greg's girlfriend shows up to Logan's birthday party with the Burberry Tartan tote, and <laughs> yeah. Tom says, So, I hear you've made an enormous faux pas, and everyone's laughing up their sleeves about your date. 
What? Why? Why? Because she's brought a ludicrously capacious bag. What? What's even in there? Huh? Flat shoes for the subway? Or lunch pail? I mean, Greg, it's monstrous. It's gargantuan. You could take it camping. You could slide it across the floor after a bank job. <laughs> and I love this line because it's so kitschy. It's, it's so incredibly two girls at their high school reunion. Yeah. I think we come to understand the princess Dianification of Tom <laughs> best through this scene. Because, yeah. yes, he is a twat with no backbone who would probably eat dog food for Logan, but he's also kind of cunty. And I respect that. <laughs> I do. Yeah. What was another honorable mention for you that really like twisted the knife in you? Yeah, I want to speed run two sad ones. Um, <laughs> just two more sad ones. Please. I realize, like Please. I realized that like the next two that I had listed, I was just like, I love these lines so much for two different reasons. Um, but yeah, yeah. Both- let's let's speed run those. Let's uh, yeah. let's optimize the talking about those. Let's uh, get the optics on those. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Kendall. Um, so the first one comes from Connor in season four. Uh, it's when they're, I believe this is when they're in the karaoke room. And Connor says, The good thing about having a family that doesn't love you is you learn to live without it. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> Ow! Like, Connor, I, I think I've realized, like, as the show goes on, I'm such a con head. <laughs> no, for real, though. For real. Like, for real, for real. I love him so much. Like, again, when I say I love these people, they all suck and they're horrible people, but I love him. <laughs> I love him. Like, I just, because he gets forgotten all the time. And, like, he is the, he's the Roy sibling who is least on our screens. But when he's there, sometimes he breaks our heart. Or, like, you learn yeah. information about him that breaks your heart. And I feel like there was so much um, information that we learned about Connor in, like, the last season itself that just rips my damn heart out and this one yeah. where he just he's just learned to live without love because his family is ho- so horrible and the way that he's had to grow up it broke my heart and then another very painful one that comes from episode nine of season four is at the funeral when roman says <laughs> is he in there about his <laughs> father being dead in a casket like that is it's not just like the is he in there where it's just like because up until this point like he said he's pre-grieved you know like he's tr- he's yeah. put up this whole front like yeah actually i'm good i'm good and the nile um, is a river in egypt literally and he, he like it's just fascinating to me because like he when they learn of logan's death like he doesn't believe it and he tells them like he tells his siblings like well we don't know if it's true or not so why are you even saying it like why are you saying that he's dead like we don't know if that's true and they're all just like dude he is and he's just like well we don't know and he's the one sibling who has to like go into the plane afterwards and see for himself that his father is in fact dead and he's the only person who does that and then the fact that like up until this point like he's kept it all bottled up inside him to where like he can't like I think it's it's in at the funeral where he processes and realizes the fact that his father is in fact dead and the is he in there it's already heartbreaking because it's just like yeah like he is in there like you have to believe this this is true the can Uh we get him out 
No, I was no. gone. I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> like, don't make me cry over this man, please. I can't do it. Daddy is getting his Emmy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is. Okay. If Hogan doesn't get that Emmy, then what is it all for? I literally don't know. That's a really good question, though. <laughs> <laughs> what is it all for? What is it all for? Uh, what was your next favorite? Honorable mention. This was almost, honestly, this was kind of my runner-up. Like, this was almost my favorite, but I just, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Things fell apart at the last second. When the Roy kids are fighting in their mother's garden in the series finale, Kendall says to Shiv, Cunt is as cunt does. <laughs> I say this all the fucking time wherever i am whatever i'm doing i'm not only saying it but i am thinking it and not only thinking it but i am living it with the emergence of cunty i feel like as like almost like a reclaimed term for the girls and the gays i've been i've been eating it up like <laughs> happy for you it's perfect it, it really is it's working wonders for me how about you what's your next line or lines so carl is oh such a guy <laughs> and I can't like mention him without mentioning Frank and I can't mention them both without the fact that you once told me they're my frog and toad <laughs> they are legit my frog and toad I think I saw like a tumblr post like that once and I was like yo that's yo that's frog yeah. and toad I yeah. literally couldn't unsee it like ever since you said it to me like every time Frank and Carl would be on screen together I'm like oh my god this frog and toad <laughs> frog and toad like truly but no, yeah. Carl, at one point, and, like, here's why I love Carl, because, like, sometimes he would just, like, say things, and you're like, you idiot, like, why would you say that? Like, you're, like, how have you not lost your job just by you Logan being, like, man. okay, yeah. get out, like, I'm sick of you. But Carl, at one point, says to Tom, You're a clumsy interloper, and no one trusts you. The only guy pulling for you is dead, and now you're just married to the ex-boss's daughter and she doesn't even like you and you are fair and squarely fucked <laughs> jesus Carl. like hello <laughs> like, that is such a read honestly he set if, the table and he put it all out there for him <laughs> if i were tom i would have taken a knife out of the holder and killed myself <laughs> like, what I the fuck literally i was remember watching it i was like dude you just lost your job like there's no way you're gonna like stay on top or like stay within the company if yeah. by saying that to tom like also the balls on this man i know <laughs> it was so so good i want carl to tell everyone off and then like ride off into the sunset with frank on a tandem bicycle yeah as I think should. that would have been the only acceptable, uh, like, alternative ending to the show. <laughs> Another one, <laughs> thinking of Carl, like, I can't remember exactly how it goes, but at one point, it's, like, literally, like, <laughs> moments after Logan dies, and he goes, well, we're officially off the clock, and he pours a drink. <laughs> <laughs> that's, like, sitcom <laughs> comedy. Like, that's so silly to me. But, like, it's rem- also so real because, like, as someone who copes with comedy and for grief, <laughs> I'd be yeah. like, yeah, I'd be making that exact same joke. It reminds me of this part in Yellow Jackets. Um, spoiler mm-hmm. alert for anyone who hasn't seen Yellow Jackets yet to, like, skip over, like, 15 seconds. But, like, when uh, one of the characters basically gets eaten by all the other mm-hmm. girls because the show is about cannibalism, which I feel like is not a spoiler. 
Um, and at the very next morning, they all wake up and one of the girls goes, so I guess no one wants breakfast. situation i don't know yeah all right your next one this is another one where we talk a little bit later about monologues and this was probably up there for me it was like i think shiv's eulogy at logan's funeral was great um Mm -hmm. but one line that will stick with me forever like it's probably copy and pasted into my diary already as in like i literally printed it out cut it out and then use a glue stick to plop it in there instead of just writing it because that felt more organic you know he couldn't he couldn't fit a whole woman in his head and then the camera is on kendall oh. um which is oh so ironic because he just had yelled at rava and jess um yep i remember just like pointing at the television and saying like there it is because it was really us being shown like, who Kendall is, and that he is his father's son. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, like, we know about the role of women in the Roy family, mm-hmm. in uh, Waystar. Like, Shiv, Shiv is white womaning, because that's what she does, but, like, she's also alienated from her brothers and father, no matter what. And it's because I think they could never fully swallow her. I don't think any mm-hmm. man on this show could ever fully conceptualize a woman like Shiv or Jerry um, in all of her complexity and this show understands that. And I don't think it's, it's to understands it in like a girl boss kind of way. Right. Like, I think it's much more primal than that. I mm-hmm. think it is much more like you have never, like you have never grown something inside of you and then pushed it out of you and felt the agony of that and you never will. And that scares you, and that's why you'll always keep me a step down from you. Um, which I hope is not reductive in the way that me being like, girl boss would be, but like, <laughs> that's kind of what I'm thinking, and there's probably like deeper and deeper layers of that. Um, yeah. What was your next line? There's so many, as you there, can see. There's so many. Um, this is like and... Watch Mojo's top 10. <laughs> Welcome to Watch Mojo. Again, two at once because they're both in the same realm, but they're like, funny now the first (laughs) so for context of the scene logan is like sick and he didn't take his medication so he's kind of like he's kind of in and out of it he's kind of hallucinating and he's like just not present and he's elsewhere in his mind and so he thinks that there's like a dead cat underneath his chair and he wants someone to get rid of it so that um his sister doesn't see so they all play along with it and kendall comes in and now at this point like he's separated from the family like no one likes him like they're not on good terms kendall comes into the room and he goes what, what what's happening is dr what the, the way, fuck okay? is going on it's fine it's all right what could is that eat, please that is an imaginary cat now could you please fuck off <laughs> and that to me like i've seen this like i've seen compilations of like um you know like succession out of context and that yeah. is probably one of my very favorite things because like i would love someone who has never seen the show to look at that clip and just guess what is going on <laughs> like, you cannot you i cannot. love it and then the next one is not necessarily a line but we see that roman texts jerry he says I am going to kill myself and she just responds with the thumbs up emoji and then puts her phone away. And I <laughs> so fucking hard at that. I had to like rewatch it like ten times just to see the message. I'm gonna kill myself and she goes, 
cool. <laughs> Just a thumbs up. And then she puts her phone back in her pocket. That reminds me so much of, like, when you text your mom or something, a long paragraph, and she's like, what do you want for dinner? Or just, like, <laughs> like one of the, like, literally that, though. <laughs> so, Evelyn, what is your all-time favorite quote from Succession? My favorite also comes from season four. A lot of these are coming from season four because I think the writing this season was, like, unbeatable, but, uh... Is episode, it's in episode 8 Kendall is talking to Siobhan and they're trying to make a decision about the election and he says maybe the poison drips through Ooh. and to me this is like one of the pivotal speculations of the season this I think this idea that Kendall may or may not be redeemable or at the very least capable of leading Waystar differently and mm-hmm. leading his life differently than his father and maybe we already know he's doomed by the narrative, like he's Richard the Third, dead on the throne, mm-hmm. but it's unclear if he does, at least to me. And I think part of that is because he, he like, he has this ignorance about him, like this complete lack of self-awareness that keeps him from seeing that he's already poisoned. Woof. <laughs> yeah, it it like kind of it's like one of my favorite lines because I think I think up until like really like not long before the credits roll on the last series, you have this thought of like maybe everything will turn around. Not yeah. in the sense that he gets um Waystar, but that like maybe he overcomes this maybe, you know, when Logan died and the cage was kind of opened and all the kids could have run out, maybe he'll finally run out. But he doesn't. But you're you're all wait. Everyone is still waiting with bated breath to see if he will, though. And, yeah, because like, any of the kids will, and it's like devastating when they don't. Yeah. Because I feel like at this point, like you're still like there's part of you that's still hoping, like maybe maybe it'll be different. But mm-hmm. this is just not that type of story. It's a tragedy, and it's mm-hmm. when he says that, and I feel I feel like with the last couple episodes, even like like up before, I think. Like, his um, funeral speech kind of solidifies, like, it's just, the cycles are cycling, you know? Yeah, for real, for real. What was your all-time favorite line from the series, Caitlin, if you had to choose? If you had to choose. So, this line is the line that I repeat probably on a daily basis, sometimes even when I'm cooking breakfast in the morning, and that is the line... That was the only two-hour period in which you did not send an email to Mr. Hirsch with the title, You Can't Make a Tomlet Without Breaking Some Greg's. (laughs) <laughs> yeah 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 that's good i that's good. laughed so hard at that line like it's just like it's just so perfect like i almost like it it's one of those lines where it's like hmm did they think of that like after the fact or did they specifically name these characters tom and greg so that they could make that line you know it's just like one of those yeah. like Oh, thank God this is how it all worked out because it's such a funny line. And every time, like, someone's making eggs in my house, I'm like, well, you can't make a tablet without breaking some cracks. I remember this because <laughs> when you started this episode, I was like, I cannot fucking wait for Caitlin to hear the phrase, you can't make a tablet without breaking. I knew, I knew, I yep. knew that yep. it would be your favorite. I was like, this yep. girl is about to get hurt. <laughs> Her whole world flipped on its side because of and this it woman. did. It was so funny. You said, "There's a line I think you'll like in this episode," and I said, "Okay." And then immediately texted you that line in all caps, and you're like, "That's the one." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I knew you knew what it was. You but knew. It was just, you know. Um, yeah. 
and it, it's I great. Think it's, it's just it's an iconic line, but I also think it's just like we know we know each other. Like yeah, <laughs> we we have been known by each other. Okay, so we've talked a lot about um, our favorite quotes. Um, but specifically, there's a lot of really good monologues in this show, and I yeah. wonder if you have a favorite. I have... Oh, it's hard to choose because, I mean, these are classically trained actors. A lot of them began mm-hmm. in the theater, which is, I think, part of what makes this show so good is, like, that training. Uh, yeah. There's more I could say about that. Um, <laughs> but until my dying day... The magnificent, awful force of him will be stuck in my head. I think Jeremy's eulogy, Kendall's eulogy. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give them co-ownership of this. They're the same person. Uh, will probably be with me forever. It is one of the greatest moments in this entire series, and mm-hmm. the writing and acting are sensational. And I think if you talked during the scene, you're an insane person because it was silent in my house. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when he got up there, yeah, this, that's all. Um, I think somehow Kendall in the scene is able to curate one of Logan's last godly moments posthumously because mm-hmm. that is who he is to his own son and this is the image that he has curated throughout his life um kind of like a god among sheep and when he dies i think the era of like great media moguls classic media moguls who use you know television and print media as their medium dies with him and in its place comes uh matson a much mm. bigger god that kind of like swallows him up posthumously mm-hmm. and, and it's, it takes Waco in its process, you know, in his process. So because to, to Kendall, Logan is a god as well. So we at home, we know he's dying, now dead. He's having gaff after gaff because the show has humanized him in the mm-hmm. way that, for example, Shakespeare humanizes King Lear in the final moments of his life. And in the way that I think of viewing audience for Logan's funeral, those who haven't already decided he is a fascist may also start to see the blemishes in his facade when Eli eviscerates him uh, in his eulogy. So it is up to Kendall to, as they say, as the Roy kids say, say the other side, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. when Worlman falls apart. Um, And he does say the other side and it works for two reasons. One, the power of language. It all comes back to the power of language. Uh And also because Kendall is a little Delulu and very (laughs) possibly genuinely believes some of what he's saying. Oh, Um, 100% believes what he's saying. Yeah. So I really, I feel like that scene to me is like, is is an Academy Award maker. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Winner maker, I guess. So that was mine. Something that sticks with me um, is what he says immediately after that magnificent, magnificent, awful force in him is when he says, and that my God, I hope it's in me. Mm-hmm. I When he said yeah. that, I was, I remember just like watching it and audibly I was like, dude, <laughs> it's, wow. <laughs> it's, crazy. it's really just like, a, it's like a prayer. It mm-hmm. really is. Like for him to say that, I feel like 
in the house of God, I say that kind of (laughs) ironically, is so like powerful because it's like he's standing at the podium, he's looking out at essentially the congregation of Logan Roy Mm -hmm. and he's making this like, he's making a play obviously, but he's also like, it's like an incantation. I yeah. hope it's in me. It's like, and, he's, yeah, like he's trying to manifest it. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's such an interesting, I think, digression from the, the previous episode where he's wondering if the poison drips through. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Because I think he realizes that the only way to hold on to everything is to become, become the dying god. So, yep. yeah. Um, fuck that. How about you? <laughs> <laughs> what was your favorite monologue? I don't know if this comes with a monologue. In fact, I know it doesn't because it's between two people. But I just, like, want an excuse to talk about this scene in season four, episode seven, when Tom and Shiv finally have the fight that they've been needing to have for, like, four seasons. Mm. Wow. Um, speaking of Emmys, give these two their Emmys. If it's possible to give multiple Emmys out in each category um i think it should go to everybody in succession (laughs) um i loved this scene so so much because they were finally clearing the air as shiv says in this scene and neither of them like finally finally neither of them were beating around the bush like this fight was brutal tom tells shiv that she's broken and shiv Mm -hmm. tells tom that she literally doesn't care about him and they speak their absolutely toxic relationship and they hate each other so so much and they hurt each other so much but what kills me is that they both really and truly love each other and that is the worst thing that either of them could do um is that like no matter what they say to each other there is still a love deep down whether they want to acknowledge it or not and i feel like it it goes both ways like for the longest time when it came to Tom and Shiv's relationship, it was just like, oh, Tom's obviously in love with Shiv, but she doesn't care about him. But also, he's kind of only there for the money and the name. And then it, some at some point, it would get to a point where it's like, no, Shiv does care about Tom because she makes sure that, like, despite everything, that he is protected. And then, like, when she is losing him, she low-key falls apart (laughs) so it was just an interesting dynamic to watch and like I loved so much watching this scene because like up until this point like they've been on opposite sides they haven't really talked to each other when they talk to each other it's about nothing or they're not saying what they really want to say to each other and you can see Uh there's so much hurt so they finally just said all of the awful awful things that they needed to just get out and say to each other and it was such a compelling scene and it's just like they're so interesting to me because despite all of the hurt and despite being the absolute worst people for each other they have no one else but each other and that again i say is captivating to me because they're so I've, i've never like really paid too much attention in media to toxic relationships like this and i've never really seen another one like it yet but it is just so interesting to me that like they were made for each other but like in a horrible way (laughs) it's so i think what's also interesting about it is like they finally clear the air but it doesn't really like nothing is like in the in the holistic therapeutic sense Mm -hmm. fixed within them because then in episode seven or no in episode eight during the election shiv finally tells tom that she's pregnant 
mm-hmm. after he said such horrible things together and he delivers her another blow and he says like something along is the that lines even of, like, true is that even true is it even real and like that is and then i think you know the last shot we ever see of them is together mm-hmm. um basically and an unlovable hand yeah, Macbeth and, and Lady Macbeth in the back of uh, Escalade. And it's, like, it's really insane. It's, like, an insane yeah. <laughs> thing to do. It really is, like, wow. <laughs> like, they did that. <laughs> this is going to be a silly question because I know we're talking about monologues. We're talking about quotes. But what is your favorite scene? And, like, <laughs> yes, these are all very different questions so ever since i've watched it it has quite literally lived rent free in my brain the last scene of the finale of season three is probably one of the best finales i have ever seen on television Mm. ever oh that tom betrays ship i we watched this together via facetime (laughs) and i remember watching this and just like holding my breath the entire time and then when when Tom comes into view and Shiv sees him I just was I I yelled I yelled so much I was like no fucking way what really gets me about it is the very last thing you see on your screen before it cuts to black is Shiv like kind of looking off like she's just got complete contempt in her face she's angry she is bewildered and Tom Mm -hmm. comes up right behind her and hovers behind her and has his arm on her shoulder and it like it mirrors the opening credits of Logan standing behind a young Shiv which I just find amazing and just I've literally like dreamt about this scene (laughs) like it has shown up in my dreams I'm like literally rewatching it in my dream going can you believe this like oh my god it's like the way we all should have known here that Tom was coming out on top. Mm. I don't know. It's going to take a lot for another show to absolutely rock me like this episode did. And I'm still not over it. Yeah. I have, to, I have to say like, I think you're right that this is one of the best scenes probably in the show. One of the mm-hmm. best finales too. Yes. For, for a show generally, because I think the duality of its interpretation at this point when we're talking about this offends me if you watched it as it aired or after you're like whoa tom did that like okay um and you're like oh did i underestimate tom um and like you come to learn that you sort of did like i don't to be honest i don't think he's that underestimatable if that's Mm -hmm, even a word mm -hmm. because like he just is what he is a lapdog and that's ultimately what gives him power in the end Mm -hmm. regardless of what happened this man fucked his way up to the top like lana um (laughs) and when you watch i think if i were to go back and watch that scene again after having watched the finale i'd be like oh like this man really was playing the long game and shiv who constantly alienated him who had him in her pocket was shivved by <laughs> her own husband and like the lady Macbeth of it all the always a kingmaker and never a king of it all like mm-hmm. it's kind of embarrassing for her it's like why she's my top fave foul wife um <laughs> And that scene also gets me because of the Tom Greg garbage truck that pulled up about five minutes before the betrayal. 
Like, that homoerotic little alliance of ghoul men that took over um, (laughs) giant media empire. Um, Mm -hmm. That's really fucking funny. But I actually, as we were talking, I realized that I think my favorite succession scene is actually the 27-minute take. And oh my god, yeah. I forgot about the 27-minute take when as you we were ta- getting excited about the series finale, but it's what it is is it's the longest uh scene ever shot in succession. Mm-hmm. Um and it's all for the most part like one full scene like no stops, no cuts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's the big 3 basically finding out that Logan is dead. And the acting chops on all three of these actors. It's so hard. I think, like, I talk about this episode a lot, like, in therapy. Because, <laughs> because like, I remember after it was over, uh, my partner asked me, like, why I cried at uh-huh. Logan's death. And I had said to him that it wasn't, it wasn't, like, the death per se. I wasn't sad about Logan I was Mm -hmm. sad about the I think I guess the the concept of losing an abusive parent and the complexity of that Mm -hmm. because I think like if you have a parent that maybe you love them but they also are terrible to you and they've you know done things to you that have traumatized you for life and kind of made you into this very unhealed unwell person Mm-hmm. I think the the weight of losing them is very different. Not not greater, but different than losing a parent who was loving and, and you had a healthy relationship with because you do love them and you do miss them and you do grieve for them when they pass, but you're also grieving in part the idea of them, who they could mm-hmm. have been, and you're also grieving what they did to you in the end of that, which is why um, I think Roman's denial of that death is so fascinating considering he was the most physically abused child Mm -hmm. um and why kendall's kind of like i think his pain is so tangible and like his his need to be numb and to to be the elder brother in 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 this case is so i think heartbreaking if you're an eldest daughter you know you know you know Mm -hmm. um and why siobhan's like sadness is is also just so deeply disheartening considering that like you know she was pinky but she was also like maybe going to be it according to season two but also Mm -hmm. maybe not so i don't know i think i think the acting in the scene is incredible i think that the revelation of his death is probably one of the greatest shocks in any series ever ever to kill yeah. your main character off so early um Respect. and to have that be completely unexpected is i think a remarkable thing and it works it works here because we get to see what i think the most important question in this show is what happens to these children when there is no longer a logan roy and I think that the showrunners do a really good job of answering that for us. So that's yeah. probably my favorite uh, scene. It, it was a good scene. Like every second, I, what I love the progression of it of being like, nah, he's like you, th- like it's like to me watching it. I didn't believe it at first. 
Like yeah. when Tom called, I was like, he's just saying that to get them to do whatever Logan wants. And Logan's telling him to say that. And it literally wasn't until you physically see Logan that I believed it. I was like, oh, he's dying. Yeah. <laughs> what? It was crazy, but it was super, super well done. It's, it's well done. And it's also, I think it's also ironic. A lot of people talk about this and I feel like I'm going to, I'm going to commemorate it here. But like the fact Mm. that it's really like a no real person involved type of scenario where Logan dies kind of the way we found him. um, Yeah. In (laughs) doing the, doing, doing his business Mm -hmm. and um, not, not literally. Um, (laughs) And uh, I think that's really, really great too is like, he's just some guy at the end of it all like it wasn't like just some guy yeah it wasn't like a glorified death it just happened yeah and you don't know when it's coming and there's nothing you can do about it it's just there yeah (laughs) and that's what it is and then you gotta deal with it I I thought it it was very it was one of the most realistic deaths that I've seen of a main character before and also like my dad and I talked about this like when you can kill off your main character and stick with it and mm-hmm. so early on that makes me respect like writers and showrunners like so much more because just like that's a risk that you're taking and then you're sticking yeah. with it like it i mean in the age of all these freaking superhero movies where it's like this person dies isn't it so sad but then like just kidding they're fine like you can't it cheapens everything and it just takes away from the story for me so when people do it and they commit to it and they do it well i'm just like yeah this is good storytelling. How many years do you think it's going to take for Robert Downey Jr. to be like, all right, I'll do another, and for them to, like, oh, revive Iron Man? I'm going to say, like, I'm thinking, like, 20, but that's, like, generous. Uh, I'll give it, like, a solid probably next year. <laughs> Tomorrow! <laughs> guess what? We're, guess what we're announcing? <laughs> uh, I hope we don't manifest that. I really don't want to. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Lit by Moonlight. This was part one of our succession breakdown because truthfully, we just had so much to say. Tune in next week when we come at you for part two of our succession breakdown, where we may have a breakdown. And if you have not yet sent me Ken Stewie fan fiction, I will be killing myself <laughs> no. in the next episode. <laughs> Stay tuned. Live on air. <laughs> it's audio only, so I hope you make it like really dramatic. Do you remember uh, when we all thought that Kendall was going to throw himself off the Waystar building? Genuinely was waiting for his body to fly past. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can never forget. I think it'd be funny if I here in DC uh walked out of screen and then you caitlin in new york looked out your window and my body just went just flying. Flying past the <laughs> you don't want to miss it bye <laughs> you don't miss it.